There's a study a few years ago, and it's called Behold Your God by a guy named John Snyder. And Heather and our friend Sarah here on the front row, um, Sarah's like our little sister. You guys need to come meet Sarah. Uh, but we, uh, she really is. We were going to go to Disney World together, just the three of us. She was totally third wheeling, but then she quit on us. Yeah, she's buying a house, so that's why. Um, she said it cost too much money. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. But Heather and Sarah were in a girls' Bible study together, and uh, I'm just super thirsty. I'm just kidding. It's an illustration in a minute. Um, But Heather and Sarah and a few other girls were in this Bible study. They ordered this Bible study called Behold Your God by John Snyder, who's this pastor in Mississippi. And they started doing the Bible study, and they said, this is unbelievable. Behold your God. What an amazing study. And they talked to another lady who they got the study from, and the lady was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not the study I'm doing. She stumbled onto this study by accident, and it truly was life-changing for us. It was an incredible study, a multi-week study, where we looked at these attributes of God. And when you start to look at God, you stop looking as much at yourself. The less we look at ourselves, the more we look at God, the bigger God gets, the better God looks, the more enthralling he is, and the more my heart is stirred towards affection to him. This is where a verse that's become one of my favorite verses, uh, I kind of stumbled across. I had read the verse a bunch of times, but Paul in Philippians chapter three, everybody knows Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But Not as many people know Philippians chapter three. In Philippians three, Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he goes on and he says, everything is a loss. I count it as rubbish, which the word rubbish is the the Greek word excrement. I count it all as excrement compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it started to spur this thought on in my mind. What is Paul talking about? Is he talking about knowing about God, knowing a bunch of Bible verses And I started to realize, no, 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 the Bible is laced all throughout with this idea of knowing the Lord. And it brought me to my own salvation story. When I was a little kid, I prayed over and over and over again in my bedroom. Dear God, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life and save me so that I don't go to hell. And then I remember praying multiple times the same night. God, if you don't think I'm in it, I really meant it. I know you died on the cross and I really don't want to go to hell, so please save me. I knew a lot of things about the Lord. Even as a little kid, I went to a private Christian school. I went to church all the time. I was in, I was in RAs. I memorized scriptures and got badges. And so like, like it was like substitute for Boy Scouts, RAs. And I had royal ambassadors. I was a royal ambassador. I had a sash with badges and Bible verses memorized and all those things. And yet one day my mom came to me in high school and she said, Thomas, I don't know that you're a Christian. If you were a Christian, I don't think you would do the things that you did. And I've told some of you this story and I was like, ah, that's very, I'm like real frustrated with you for saying that, mom, because I know I'm a Christian. I've prayed that prayer. I know a lot of things about God. But the truth is, I think what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 would have been totally true of me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he said, many are gonna say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus will turn to them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. 
And I started to realize in this study of Behold Your God that John Snyder put together and in my own testimony of when I was 17 years old at that church camp when I said, I know a lot about God, but I'm pretty sure I don't know him. Very similar to Justin Bieber. Like, I know some things about the Biebs. I know some things about Taylor Swift. Heather and I went to a Taylor Swift concert. Oh, yeah. I was there. We were up very high. Um, I know some things about her. I know some things about um, Leonardo DiCaprio. I know some things um, about uh, President Obama. Like, I know some things about these people. But if I were to walk up to any of them and I were to push past their security guards and be like, I know you, they would be like, arrest him. Because I only know about them. And so I hope for the next few weeks, we'll start to go on a journey together where we go from knowing some things about God to really starting to embrace some things that help us to know him. Because what I don't want is on that day for you to stand before the Lord or for me to stand before the Lord and for us to say, but I went to Tuesday night and I went to Christ's covenant and I went to all this stuff and I went to the spring retreat, shameless plug. I went to like, I did all these things in your name, and the Lord look and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So you ought to be asking the question right now, do I know the Lord, or do I just know some things about him? So I want to teach you the the first of, well, really, we're going to look at two, mainly one, though, true what's called attributes of God. One is omnipresence, and one is imminence. So omnipresence and imminence. We're going to cover two in about 10 minutes. Omnipresence is the idea that God is everywhere, all at once. Imminence is a little different, all right? Omnipresence. Like, you, is Lewis here? I always like, I don't know why. I always like to pick on Lewis. Is Lewis here tonight? Lewis. Okay, Lewis, raise your hand, Lewis. Yeah, thank you. That was very delayed. I thought, like, maybe I can't see. Okay, okay, so, Lewis, how many places are you at right now? One place. He's there. Okay, good, me too. I'm at one place now. Even if somebody's looking at some video that we put up on Instagram and they're across the country, we're still here. So, this should stretch your mind just a little bit. God is not sometimes all over the place. God is all the time all over the place. But that's not the same as imminence. So the Bible says, the Bible gives this illustration. The Bible says that we, like this is us, this glass, okay? Should I do it over here? It seems very dangerous. Okay. Okay. Jesus in like the, the sermon of the high priestly prayer in John 17, he talks about how the Father is in us. Like, like the Lord is in us. That's incredible, right? But now, yes, the Lord is in us, but the Lord is also around us. And we are contained in the Lord, but the Lord is contained in us. This is the idea of God's imminence. The Lord is contained in us, but we are also contained in him. And if you're in him, you're also contained in him, but he's contained in you. It's this idea of incredible closeness. 
So the idea of omnipresence is, yes, God's everywhere. The idea of imminence is for believers, and that is closeness. Like, the Lord is in us, but we are totally encapsulated in the Lord. It's this really, really big idea that makes it really, really hard to understand. Yes, he's everywhere, but he's more than just everywhere. With believers, we, are, we have him in us, but we're also completely enraptured in him all the time. Now, everybody else, he's near, but for us, he's like, really, really near. That's the idea of imminence. And so let me give you a few verses. You can write these down. At 1 Kings 8, 27, Acts 17, 27 through 28, and Psalm 1, 39, 7 through 10. So let me just take a look at Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 1, you, a lot of you know Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day for darkness is as light with you. So this idea of the Lord being near. It's, it's all through the scriptures. Let me just explain this in a whole nother way. If you were on the ski trip, I talked about this for just a minute. Write down these three words. So there's reconciliation, justification, and then regeneration. Everybody who is a Christian, who's had that moment where you've realized, I don't know the Lord and I'm sinful and separated from him and the Lord is calling me and you respond, yes, and the Lord's grace saves you and it is done by faith, not of works. And you have that moment, that salvific moment. And for some of you, it's a long process to get to that moment, but you're at that moment. You've had that moment. Three things have just happened. One, God has reconciled you to him. The second one is, God has justified you before him. Let me tell you something. You could go to heaven on those two things and you get to claim zero in the category of how much effort did that cost you. Through the death of Jesus, which we will celebrate on Remember on Friday, and the resurrection of Jesus, which we will celebrate and remember on Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, God reconciled us to himself. He justifies us. But as soon as those two things happen, the Holy Spirit enters your life, and a work begins in you called regeneration. Now, Claire, can I use you as an example? That's great. How long have you been a Christian? Three question mark, four years. Somewhere in there, we'll call it, let's call it four. How old are you? 24. Claire has 20 years of unregenerate time. Claire. Claire. Okay. So what needs to happen in the area number three here? The Lord needs to start unwinding 20 years of life and start reworking 20 years of life so that Claire begins to be more similar to her Savior. 
Because before Claire comes to know Christ at 20, she is dissimilar to God. When she becomes, when she becomes uh, you know, reconciled, justified before the Lord, she starts to become a little bit more similar, but this work of regeneration is where God begins to make her more and more like himself. Now, fast forward three or four years, Claire's on this rocket ship path of propulsion towards the Lord. She's leading a small group. She's reading her Bible. She's memorizing scripture. She's pursuing God with all she's got. Like she's on, she's not taking like, she's not on like the, like the little kitty rides. Like she's like, you know, no, I don't, I don't want the, the moped. I want the bike. Like, she's like, I want to go fast. Ricky Bobby style. Like she is moving forward and she's pursuing the Lord with all that she's got. And it's incredible to watch. And so there's this fast track of a regeneration process going on to where she is becoming more and more similar to the father, which means Claire feels closer to God more often than a lot of Christians. You know, most Christians find themselves feeling like God is far off. And I mean like real Christians, not the ones that on judgment day, God's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. But there are a lot of Christians, most Christians would say, I just don't feel that close to God. Well, this is what I would say. I would say it's because Jesus is like God and to feel near to God, we need to be more similar to God, which means we need to be more similar to Jesus. But most of us are just too selfish. There's a story in Song of Solomon where the, the bride comes in and says, hey, or the groom comes in and says, I wanna hang out with you, I wanna be with you. And the bride's like, no, I kinda just wanna hang out in my room. And the bride has, or the groom has given her all kinds of gifts <coughs> excuse me, the scene is she's in her room basically like looking at the gifts and she's like, what a pretty dress. I really like the perfume. This is so nice. Sorry, I don't wanna be with you right now, but I like what you've done for me. So what does the groom do? The groom moves on, not to leave her, but he goes about his business. She realizes, I feel so far from him. She then runs after him in the process. She gets beat up, she feels alone, all kinds of stuff happens until she finally finds him. And at some point before she finds him, her friends are like, what's wrong with you? Why are you chasing after this guy? And she's woken up from her slumber and she says, my man, is better than 10,000 other men. She's on this tirade to get close to the one who gave the gifts, not just the gifts. Now, so what's the anecdote to feeling distance, uh, to, to feelings of distance with God and experiencing his manifest present. What's the anecdote? The anecdote is found in Colossians 3.10. In Colossians 3.10, we're told to put on Christ. If you really want to know what it feels like to feel God all the time, then you practice putting on Christ. When you put on Christ, it's like under armor, like cold gear for going skiing. There's not a lot of room for other stuff under it. All right, like, and, and like Blake and I, when we were getting ready for the ski trip, we had on like, like all our, like our warm stuff on first. And like Blake's was like a couple of sizes too small. If he was here, I would still tell this story. And he was like, 
probably need to get new clothes. And I was like, probably so. And like, but he was very buff. And uh, I was like, uh, I was just funny. But I was like, there's not a lot of room for like a t-shirt under that, that shirt. And he was like, no, there's not. And you know what? When you put on Christ, it's not dissimilar to that moment when he pulled on that, that cold, Under Armour cold gear. Like it's meant to fit snug. When you put on Christ, there's not a lot of room for a whole bunch of other stuff. You put him on, he doesn't want a lot of other stuff cluttering the wardrobe. And the way we put on Christ in repentance is in humility. Lord, I've been far from you. I've done my own thing. In kindness, because God is kind. We start practicing kindness. In zeal, that means you have your quiet time. You spend time with God. Listen to Christian music. Don't just listen to the stuff you want to listen to. Listen to the things that are going to propel you closer to the Lord. And in forgiveness, you want to see somebody who's close to God? You're going to see somebody who does not have bitterness in their heart. You want to find a person close to God? They've done the hard work of asking other people to forgive them, and they've forgiven other people. Look, it's, it's Passion Week. On Friday, we'll celebrate Good Friday. Some of you will celebrate Maundy Thursday, the, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He has that last Seder meal with the disciples. And then he begins the all-night journey to the cross into the garden. He has multiple trials. Most of them are mock trials. They're just for pomp and circumstance. He's whipped 39 times. He's beaten. And yet, for the most part, he remains silent as a sheep going to the slaughter, is what Isaiah 53 says. And when he finally gets to the cross and he's nailed to the cross, he quotes one thing, and he quotes Psalm 22. And the beginning of Psalm 22 is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, according to God's omnipresence and God's eminence, God was no further from Jesus on the cross than he is from you and I right now. But on the cross, Jesus in agony of all the thousands of verses he could have quoted, he quoted Psalm 22. And when he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, God, for the first time ever, I feel far from you. For the first time ever and the first time and the last time. Because he took on your sin and he took on my sin and he took on your sorrow and he took on my sorrow and he took on your shame and he took on my shame and he took all those things on himself so that by his wounds we might be healed. Now was God like far and disappeared from him? No. But did it feel like God was far and had disappeared from him? Yes. And the reality is, he had that moment of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I as believers never have to have the moment again where we say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As real believers, as real Christians, if we will put on Christ and take off self, no matter if we're in the lowest of low or the highest of high, 
we will realize the truth behind the eminence of God and that he is near always. Jesus, let's not make him have said those words so that we also just repeat them over and over again in vain. When he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's put some meaning behind that. Let's put some stock behind that. Let's be people that are like, he said that for me so that I don't have to say that. Let me know that you are near God and let me draw near to you. I'll end with this. James, as he, uh, as he began to wrap up his book, James says something startling. He says, and he's talking to Christians. He says, wash your hands, O sinners. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is not that God is far off from James. It's not that God is far off from all these other Christians. It's that the Christians, because of their behavior, are dissimilar to God. And whenever we are dissimilar to God, we don't feel close to him. We have to, to be close to God. We have to be similar to God. So the way we become similar to God is we put on Christ. And the more we put on Christ, the more meaning Jesus' words on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mean to us because we feel that less and less and less. And because he was felt forsaken by the Father, we never have to feel forsaken by the Father. And that is the beauty of the imminence of God. We get more than just the omnipresence. We get his unending nearness if we'll just receive it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this series that we're about to get into, Lord, looking at you and who you are. Lord, just help us to, to put stock in the words that Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Lord, since he went through that, we don't have to go through that. So Lord, help us to put on Christ and help us to experience the nearness that you offer, whether we're in a low, low or a high, high. May we be close to you. May we put on Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.